0: Seven on a Monday night, uh, I mean, this it's Calvin, Reed. I check it on September 21st. Uh, sometime tomorrow morning, during the morning hours, Eastern Time, it will become uh, fall instead of summer. Uh, that's a piece of information from WPTF doing something that WPTF has been doing most of its lifetime. And also tomorrow, WPTF will be... Uh, uh, celebrating a birthday, or there will be the anniversary of the birth date of WPTF. It came on the air. It's listed in in the books as September 22nd, 1924. And uh, what we're going to do here on the Tom Kearney Show tonight is to reminisce about that a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about it. We've had a couple of programs over the last couple of weeks, but that doesn't mean we can't have another one, and the particular angle we're going to take tonight, and I hope some of our listeners who've been around a while will participate in this. Is to talk about the the uh, cultural contribution of WPTF, a radio station coming on in a rural state in uh, eastern North Carolina back in 1924, and uh, what it meant to the area that it, that it was in before television came, for instance. And uh, and it, it'll be a little bit like uh, somebody. Trying to give you a history of the of the of the internet and the web and you know something coming on and we don't know exactly what contribution it's going to make but obviously it's made a great, very great contribution and the same was true of WPTF so we're going to have a little bit of the history of WPTF I told John Sauter, our producer I would list this as a kind of a meditation because I was one of the people in a small town 50 miles from WPTF from the capital city of North Carolina which by the way was a fairly small town the capital was in in 1924. Uh, Charlotte was bigger at that time. Greensboro was bigger. I think Winston-Salem was bigger. Durham was a little bit smaller, uh, and it would be a part of the, the triangle. But uh, there was uh, a, probably a more culture uh, in Raleigh because it, of it being the state capital and because of the colleges like NC State and Meredith and Peace and St. Mary's, and so on, and St. Saint, Aug, Saint and Shaw, um, but uh, uh, the presence of a radio station, a new thing on the block, uh, uh, was was something to be reckoned with, so we're going to be talking about that tonight, and if you're old enough, or you remember listening to some programs, uh, like uh, the Metropolitan Opera used to be on WPTF on Saturday afternoon, and uh, I know when I was a little kid growing up in Goldsboro, they they did a pretty good job on me at the schoolhouse. They they made me like to go to school, and I still like to learn, and I still like to go to school. And one of the things that I wanted to learn about was classical music and to hear some classical music. But there was not a radio station, as far as I know, in North Carolina that broadcast classical music at that time. I remember when I went to Chapel Hill to graduate school in the 1960s, Uh, WCHL, the local radio station, broadcast one hour of classical music every day, and I think that was one of the few places that that was, in fact, scheduled. Ultimately, WPTF would play uh, WPTF-FM when it came into being, would play classical music part of the day, while the rest of the day, WPTF-FM would do what is called simulcasting, and that is, carry the same thing that was on WPTF-AM. But... uh, Tony Rigsby, who was our guest last week, talking about the history of WPTF, I think his, one of his first jobs, and Gary Dornberg, who later became our sports director, uh, first jobs was uh, presiding over uh, the the, uh, control board and everything at WPTF-FM, the riding cane is what radio people, that would be the radio terminology for it, so uh, I'm going to do a little meditation on that, and I've already said something of importance, and that is I wanted, uh, wanted to uh, find a radio station that could keep me well-informed and make me a citizen of the world and somebody who knew about something outside of the small town in eastern North Carolina that I came from. And I think about those people in the rural parts of the state who had really no outlets to the world, who maybe went to town on Saturday, maybe not, who may may have gotten a newspaper delivery, one or two days a week, but who had no real contact with the outside world until WPTF, uh, under the call letters WFBG and then the WRCO, it became WPTF in 1927 after having come on the air in 1924, began sending out its signal and joined the National Broadcasting Company, which gave it access to all of the resources of NBC and uh, began broadcasting programs that included. Uh, news, uh, uh, sports, uh, entertainment programs that featured uh, well-known celebrities and stars, people like Bob Hope and uh, Jack Benny and so on, but also uh, produced uh, programs uh, of uh, uh, cultural value. I think uh, the, the thing I put on the schedule today was the cultural contributions of WPTF to North Carolina. And WPTF certainly wasn't the only radio station. If you lived in Iowa, I suspect, uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and, and and there's a middle of nowhere in North Carolina, too, uh, uh, where you had very little contact with the outside world and worked hard all day, and you could come in at night and, and turn on the radio and listen to WHO in Des Moines. Or if you were in Minnesota, you could listen to WCCO. Uh, that's the station that uh, Garrison Keillor mimics when he's... Uh, talking about the, the, the radio station in, in Lake Wobegon. It was heard throughout the Midwest and was a place that kept people in contact with the outside world. And, in, and, and I'm fond of saying to people who are new to North Carolina, and I've been here almost all of it. I've, in fact, I've lived outside of North Carolina one year of my life, and I was only 20 miles over the border then, uh, that if it didn't occur in the News Observer, uh, on WPTF when I was young, and, and it would have been even more true before I was born in 1943, then you probably would not know it, or it would be a while before you knew it. You had to wait for the daily newspaper to come uh, uh, from from Raleigh or from Charlotte or from Greensboro or Asheville or someplace like that. So a meditation then on WPTF's uh, place in the culture of eastern North Carolina through the days of the golden age of radio when when the, a lot of the role of uh, WPTF and a few other stations was replaced by television. But uh, the television in the beginning sought uh, to serve uh, uh, some bit of an educational function, but ultimately uh, became usually news, weather, and sports and, and entertainment. And, and this is also what happened to radio. But, but even there... The, the entertainment was, uh, uh, to a great extent, musical and allowed people who were listening to become familiar with different kinds of music from different parts of the country and to to be a part of sort of, uh, maybe I'm waxing poetic here, but of, of bringing America together, tied up, uh, not exactly alike everywhere, but in one culture. That is, he was from Mississippi, but we all knew about Elvis Presley and uh, that, that kind of thing. So, And if you um, are a long-time listener of WPTF and can remember listening to uh, The Voice of Firestone, for instance, which was sponsored on the National Broadcasting Company by the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, like classical music, uh, The Telephone Hour was was classical music also. It came on once a week. Uh, and uh, and even things like the, the Grand Ole Opry, which was broadcast, in Nashville, Tennessee, but was picked up by NBC uh, it, it, when it became popular and people knew about it. Picked up by NBC and was carried throughout the network, so the whole country could hear uh, uh, the different country music stars. It, it was usually on well, it was on Saturday night. I think it was sponsored by Prince Albert Tobacco, and I think it was from 8:30 to 9. Now, of course, the, the Grand Ole Opry show on WSM. And the actual went on for about four hours, but, uh, but a part of the world could be drawn into it and beca- could become more aware of it uh, by listening to, uh, well, WPTF. Uh, my, Mrs. Kearney tells me that her father used to really want to make sure that he listened to the Grand Ole Opry. And I, I had an uncle who was the same way on, uh, on uh, Saturday night, something that was brought in from the outside on the wires and then up on the antenna of WPTF and broadcast throughout uh, eastern North Carolina. WPTF signal in the daytime covered about half of the state, and you could say from Emporia, Virginia, down to Florence, South Carolina, out to the Outer Banks, Currituck, and as far west as probably Hickory or someplace in, near near the, the Continental Divide. And so it, it was a source of news, Weather information, and it's added other services since then. And uh, it was a radio station, like the radio station then, that was a, uh, uh, a sort of a basket of, of standard items that one listened to. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight too. But I would like to hear from you if you if you if you have a memory of listening to the Metropolitan Opera, or the Telephone Hour, or uh, or Mr. Carl Gertz, who was a local guy who had come here from New York. In their 30s, and for about 40 years, reported on the state legislature. Something appropriate for a radio station in the capital city to do. And WPTF was mostly by itself in eastern North Carolina from 1924, under whatever call letters, until the late 1930s. There was a beginning of growth of number of radio stations just before, just before World War II, and it really blew out and, and increased greatly after. Arrived too. But the golden age of radio was really from, say, the, the 1930s to the to the 1950s, and we're going to reminisce about that tonight. Tom Kearney on WPTF. I, my number is 919-860-9783, and I would welcome some conversation on this topic. There were, as I said, other stations in other parts of the world. In Virginia, I was talking to my vet today about WRVA, which Virginia, and uh, almost uh, every state uh, had uh, a station that uh, provided service. I mentioned WHO in Iowa, KMOX in St. Louis was was there. A number of Chicago stations, including WLS, provided, uh, and WGN was famous for its farm reports that uh, covered a good good bit of the central U.S. But radio was there, and it it, it did more than just entertain contributed to and helped, uh, helped to create the culture that people uh, listened to and, and was was a part of educating through that culture uh, the people that listened to it and, and uh, was a great contribution to democracy. Election returns. We'll talk about the Harding Cox election returns at KDKA in Pittsburgh in just a moment because this is an election year. We need to reminisce about that. But we'll be back on WPTF. Nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. If you want to contribute, uh, walking up till tomorrow, which is the anniversary of the uh, uh, beginning of WPTF on uh, on the radio. It was WFBQ. It was uh, September twenty second, nineteen twenty four, and it would be some years, uh, three or four years, before it would get to 680 on the dial. I think it was 1190 the day that it, served, that it came on. And, and, and one would have to remember that rather like the world we've faced in the past few years with the Internet, the people that were aware of radio, they were not exactly real sure of what use it could be put to uh, and how it would be done. But they knew that these experimenters had been able to learn to transmit uh, information uh, at first, uh, uh, electronic information codes, things like Morse code, and then eventually music and the spoken voice, so that it could broadcast. So that a communication you would send would not go to one person or one station somewhere or one telegraph office, but would be put into the air and would be broadcast. Like when you when you're out throwing seeds, uh, doing your grass, you're broadcasting the seed. You're spreading it all over everywhere, so that anyone who had a radio could hear the information, and and Westinghouse, for instance, had learned how to make the radios, but they were having trouble selling them because there were no radio stations to listen to. And uh, uh, so they got into the business of establishing a a number, a few number of radio stations, and one of them was in one of their their hometown of Pittsburgh. Uh, it, It was assigned the call letters randomly of KDKA, and on election night in 1920, it made a big splash by broadcasting the returns of the uh, presidential election of that year. Uh, and this, this November, just not very long, will be the 100th anniversary of that particular election. And it's when people realize its significance as an information transfer, or as somebody spreading, communicating information, uh, and, and its importance could be done. ADKA. It was November 2nd, I think, 1920, and, uh, and that will be, we will celebrate the 100th anniversary. There were other radio stations on the air in different stages of getting their licenses. Uh, most of the stations that are uh, the legacy, the, the old timers of, uh, of broadcasting, which would include WPTF, got their licenses after 1920. There is a station in Detroit, WWJ, which is still on the air and it's, I think, the CBS affiliate in the Motor City uh, that uh, was uh, on the air and is a uh, competitor for KDKA for the, the question of who had the first radio station. But one thing that is certain is that the broadcast of the election returns on KDKA, that could be heard in Pittsburgh, and indeed, because AM travels long distances at night, if you had a radio in Raleigh, North Carolina, you probably could have heard the election returns from KDKA, and indeed, until WPTF came on, people who owned the radio, probably purchased from the Wynn Radio Company uh, in Raleigh, had to listen to Philadelphia, to Pittsburgh, to Boston, to Schenectady, where GE had a big factory and a big radio station, WGY, and uh, stations that were in New York City, WEAF, uh, in Boston, WBZ, and, uh, but, uh yeah. The uh, gentleman named Will Wynn, who owned the uh, shop that sold radios, saw the possibilities in having a radio station in North Carolina, so he established one, and eventually the station that book had the callers WFBG uh, or WFHG became WRCO, which stood for Wynn Radio Company. And uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Wynn saw that... Uh, if he was going to sell radios, he'd have to provide some programs for people to listen to. Now, when he owned the station, it was not continuously programmed or even programmed every day like stations are now. They did not know how this would work. They were working it out, and that's what you have to see if you've studied the history of this. But he he signed on, I think, in 1926 or 27, the station, uh for about a hundred hours. And among the things that he chose to broadcast were I think a gubernatorial address, uh, a few uh, uh, services, church services, some weather. That was thought to be one of the things that uh, radio stations would provide is weather, uh, which was very important to farmers so they would know how to plan their planting and harvesting and so on. Uh, So uh, one of the first things that appeared on the radio stations, was not music, which dominates a lot of radio stations today, but in fact, news and weather and, and news of, of different kinds, of, of, of sports news eventually would come along, and sports broadcast would come along. And in 1927, the Durham Life Insurance Company, which was headquarters in uh, uh, Durham and Raleigh, North Carolina, bought the station from Mr. Wynn with, with I, I have read, the intention of, of using it as a promotional service, and that is to bring perhaps news of the weather and news of uh, goings on in, in politics or, or whatever, but offer it as a service of Durham Life Broadcasting Company. But this was about the time when they were learning that this, this service that they were giving away could be used to make money, that it could be commercialized. I think the first radio advertisement was on a a New York radio station in 1924. And it was for a real estate developer, if I remember. So eventually, Durham Life would sell commercials. It would join the National Broadcasting Company Network. We have come to the point that we're halfway through, and it's time for us to check the news on WPTF. Uh, educate you, or maybe both, and we're hoping that is the case tonight. Tomorrow will be the anniversary of the uh, birth of WPTF in 1924, so it will be if if we counted 96 years old. And tonight we're doing a little Tom Kearney meditation on the the cultural con- contribution of WPTF, the 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 meaning of being able to be in somewhere in rural North Carolina or indeed anywhere in North Carolina, and uh, be uh, accessible to the news of the world, to music, to classical music, uh, to all kinds of things uh, that one would not have had before WPTF came on. It is the second oldest radio station in North Carolina, preceded only by uh, WBT in Charlotte, North Carolina, which came on the air in 1922. But before we go back to that, we've got a couple of callers, and you're welcome to call it uh, 919-860-9783, I need to talk about some people that my car visited the other day, and that is the people at King's Auto Service. The heat is still with us. People who are familiar with this part of the world know that it can be hot even into October, and it's uh, the heat's hard on your car as it is on you. If your battery is weak, the heat will speed up the failure rate. Your AC is working even harder in the hot weather and the humid weather that we've had recently, and it's not keeping you cool when you need it to when you need it. You need to bring your car to King's Auto Service. The highly trained technicians at King's will evaluate the engine cooling system which also includes hoses, belts, and yes, even your tires. For those of you who are currently driving a Toyota Prius or some other Hybrid vehicle, the certified hybrid technicians at King's are now able to refurbish your high-voltage battery pack for less than the dealer would choose to replace it. This usually occurs, by the way, the need to replace it at about 150,000 miles. Call King's tomorrow to schedule a courtesy battery analysis. King's Auto Service and King's Correct Loop and a state inspection station are easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street in downtown Raleigh and at kingautomotive.net on the web. King's Auto Service, Raleigh's most reliable auto care since 1946. Again, WPTF Radio 935, and an old friend of ours, uh, Joe, he's the only guy we, we use his last name, Joe Williams. Are you there, Joe? Yeah, how you doing? Enjoying your history. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you probably remember some of it. And, uh <laughs> I, I remember a lot of it, except for the five years we spent in Nash County. I've listened to WPTF all my life.
1: You were and, in Nash
0: uh, County. I'm going to remember that. That's a long way away. Right after Nash County comes Tennessee, if I remember correctly. That, that's correct.
1: All right. But we, uh, we used to listen to the Grand Ole Opry uh, on Saturday night down in uh, Duke County. And of course, the, the, the new news and the farm report every day, uh, Daddy was at the house to hear that.
2: Well I, I
0: was something that we haven't I've talked about the, the history uh, two or three nights before this but I haven't Tony and I talked just a minute or two about the farm reports but uh, WPTF has always tried to be of great service to the farm uh, farmers of North Carolina because they were a principal part as you know Joe because you worked with them of the economy and they had uh, uh, early in the morning, Uh, farm reports, I think there was, well, when I started working, the farm hour was on from 5 to 6. Yeah. And the presumption was that farmers get up early and milk the cows and get ready to go out to the fields and drink the coffee and eat the pancakes and listen to the farm news then. And then do you remember there was a farm hour on at 12 o'clock? And they they would ring a bell. Do you remember that? I do. And 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 they they play the song they might not be able to play today, and that is Dixie. (laughs) <laughs> and the, the farm hour was on then and, uh, uh, and there would be an hour of things like uh, uh, prices on livestock uh, prices on uh, well vegetables and things if if you were in the if you were in Mount Oliver facing and you were buying cucumbers to make pickles out of how much they were going for and uh, pigs and, and things like that uh, oh yeah they had all the livestock and produce prices and uh, so on but uh uh, did you grow up in Duplin county yeah uh-huh okay yep. so you did was it oh did you remember do you remember listening to it as a child because i when I was a kid i my I became a radio nut when I was somewhere between four and six, and my birthday present when I was six years old was my mother let me turn the radio on before that she didn't want me turning it on because she was afraid that I would pull it off the table that it was on and
1: she's probably right to tell you but we, we, we had a sears a silver tone you uh, uh-huh. could worry we, about pulling that off the table but i remember listening to it when i was probably six or eight years old or maybe younger than that during the war when uh gabriel heater came on you know to give all the news about the war you probably don't remember that but,
0: uh, I, I know
1: because i was born in 43 you're older than i am yeah, yeah yeah i was born in 36 but uh the adults demanded complete silence while he was on the air. Gabriel Heater, I remember him. And
0: there was a guy named Morgan Beatty who was on at night, too. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I think they did on WPTF and other radio stations, too, is late at night, like at 11 o'clock, they would report casualties or something like that. Uh, I, I don't remember that. And they didn't let you
1: stay up that late, huh? Yeah. But, you know, in the late 40s and early 50s, I do you remember this night? not, on Saturday night they had the Hillbilly Jukebox and played the top ten country and western
0: songs. I do not remember that, but I'm yeah. glad glad to hear that. And, and of course, uh, uh, they had usually in the morning when they were having the farm hour, about 15 minutes of it was flattened scrubs or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they yeah, yeah. were... Uh, the, the different companies that bought the time, also White Flower, obviously,
1: bought theirs. And, yeah. Uh, well, we, we've mentioned this before, you know, but Chad Atkins and Keith uh, Wells
0: were both there, and I think the Monroe brothers were at P T F Right, the Monroe, Bill Monroe, who's the, quote, founder of Bluegrass, uh, he, and, he and his brother Charlie actually broke up. They were, a, 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 you know, they worked together. But they couldn't get along with each other. I understand Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe was tough to get along with, although a great musician. Yeah. And they broke up when they were living in Raleigh. And one of them went home one day. I think he. They both had trailers out on Garner Road or somewhere. And, and the other one of them was had had his jacked up, hooked up. He was fixing to leave, and he did leave. As a matter of fact. Yeah. But, but Chet played uh, the
1: fiddle on one of those shows, but practiced his, his guitar in the studio. Yeah, Bob Royal said that. Uh... He stayed in there from the morning show to the mood show and just practiced on that guitar. Right. Now,
0: I should identify for our audience, Bob Royal, who was an engineer at WPTF for 60 years.
1: Yeah.
0: From 1942 to sometime uh, uh, in, in the early part of the 2000s.
1: I'm not really yeah, sure. I, I don't remember. It. Last time I saw Bob, he was out here at uh, the bookstore in Cary with uh, Clark Howard. hmm he
0: did a lot of remotes and stuff yeah as a yeah, of fact. yeah. yeah I, I always said about Bob I worked with an engineer who became an engineer three years before I was born uh, so he'd been here a right good while but uh, he he listened to a lot of radio well we have another person Joe Williams and so I hope you will continue to be our listener however many years that that that, that will amount to and uh, thank you for testifying tonight I hope
1: I'm gonna be here a few more anyway
0: I hope so too. It's it's nice having you out there. Good talking with you, Tom. Thanks, Joe. Uh, good night, uh, John. You said we have another uh, caller. Is it Michael? Is that what you said? Yes, Mike. Mike. Good evening. You're on yeah. WPTF.
2: Hello, Tom. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah. Uh, I, I this fall on very nicely to the last call because I want to talk about the '40s as well. Uh, I'm I'm not quite. A, I'm about ten years younger than you. Uh and I grew up in western North Carolina, so I but my first knowledge Hold on, wait a minute. Yeah. I always
0: gotta ask you a question. We're in western yep. North Carolina. Hendersonville. Hendersonville. Well you listen to WWNC then
2: probably Flat Rock. Well and local stations. We we're
0: uh I'm trying to think of the poet
2: who lived there, the man who had the goat. Sandburg. Sandburg. Carl Sandburg, Sandburg. there Rock. you go. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. good.
2: Okay, well, I'm, my I'm, first, I'm happy. My first now. Mention, I heard of uh, PTF was uh, in the classroom in Chapel Hill back in 72. I had a course with Wesley Wallace. And Professor Wallace, and you will perhaps be able to set me straight on this, but he talked a lot about his time working for WPTF as a correspondent during the war. As what, I'm a correspondent? A correspondent. That is, he... He went into the Pacific, and would send back reports to WPTF, particularly about servicemen from North Carolina. I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where
0: you would look it up exactly, but I'm pretty sure he did that. I know that he left WPTF. He was working at W. Let me tell you the whole story here. Well, not the whole story, but enough to make meat out of it. Uh, he was here. He was at, at PTF on Pearl Harbor Day and uh, yeah. I have a recording somewhere of an interview that I uh, did with him about that. But but uh, he went to the Pacific when he went into the Army and helped found yeah. the, the, something called the Far East Broadcasting Company. It basically, basically was the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service, you know, the, the thing that the government provided for the troops and everything. To,
2: yeah. So they'd
0: have something to listen to, and that's what he did before he came back to help found the RTVMP program at, uh, yes. at Capitol Hill. Now, how did how did he send his
2: reports back to PTF? I, I do not know. I had the impression that he made vinyl recordings and mailed them back to the station. That would be my guess uh, because tape
0: was not in general use yet. And yeah. if the... If the uh, you hear a lot if you hear an old-time radio program like Fibber McGee and Molly or the Bob Hope Show or something that that uh, was broadcast in 1943. It's probably an edition of a program that was recorded on uh, whatever the material
2: was. I'm not sure it was vinyl, yes. but uh, uh, to well, then, there's an, an, another name I associate with that period, and perhaps you can set me straight on what he did. And that was the man's name was Debnam, uh, and he would begin his report. Uh, as this is Debnam, and I believe he covered the war as well for w p t f is that right well i do not i do not
0: know the answer to that i know that uh mr Debnum had a program on w p t f he was actually employed by smith douglas fertilizer company and and they bought the time and he was on i think fifteen minutes a day uh uh-huh. and uh he was on until sometime i believe in the fifties, maybe the sixties, uh, like he actually did not work for WPTF, he worked for Smith Douglas. It was like a, uh, a service that the, the fertilizer company provided, but he was uh-huh. he was extremely conservative and uh, uh, at some point, the story I've heard, I'm just repeating the story, was that he chose to run for like city council or something, which he had a perfect right to do, but uh, he, the, the radio station decided at that point that because they would have had to give every one of his opponents equal time. You follow me?
2: Uh-huh.
0: So uh-huh. they they cut him loose at that point. That's the story that I've heard. This was before my time. But, his uh, daughter's
2: name was uh, Betty, and she founded the mini-page, which ran in the newspaper uh,
0: for oh,
2: a, a long time.
0: I remember that. Anyway, any way.
2: rate, I, I enjoy your radio shows, Tom, and it's good talking to you, and I'm glad your help has come along.
0: Well, uh, well yes, uh, I, I need all the, the
2: kind of... Uh, People call it different oh, think, things, but all the support yeah, I can good get. wishes
0: your
3: way,
2: and I, I, uh, I, I, I do enjoy your show.
0: Okay, well I I hope, and and again I repeat the story about Mister Denham is the story that I heard, but I I don't doubt that it is true. Uh, he ultimately, by the way, went to Channel Nine in Greenville and used to to take part in a, uh, a news programs there, and and it, and it would be natural for Smith douglas to. Which was
2: a big fertilizer company to buy yeah. it because it—that's uh, right in the middle well, that, of tobacco country. If you know that I mean. PTF was NBC, they did not have Edward R. Murrow. Is that, that right? That is correct. He was, yeah, he was on CBS. Uh, would he have been on WDNc? Must he? would have
0: been on WDNc, or if you were in Greensboro, WBIG. Yeah, it might have. Been, I don't know what WWNC was. I somehow think it might have been CBS. But uh,
2: yeah, it, I think it was
0: rather than NBC. The, there were only a couple of NBC affiliates in North Carolina, one in here and one in Charlotte, I believe, WSOC, uh-huh. I think, was the, uh, But anyway. All right. Good talking to you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you Goodbye. joining us. And that was Mike. Uh, on, and we, we always love to, when we can, to talk to the people who are listening. We need to take a break now. And if you want to join us, we've got time for a couple more calls. in our night of meditation and thinking about... Uh, WPTF, uh, which acquired those call letters in 1927 because the insurance company that had bought them used the uh, phrase, we protect the family, as an insurance company, Uh, and uh, the letters were the first letters of those four words, and and, uh, it has remained as such, and it remained a a part of uh, the Durham Life Insurance Company broadcasting unit until I believe 1991 or 92 when it was purchased by our current owners, uh, uh, Curtis Media. And uh, and we are here in 1920, celebrating our 96th anniversary. And we'll be back to talk to you if you're on the phone, 919-860-9783. We'll be back. I want you to remember the, the, the Metropolitan Opera and the Telephone Hour and the Voice of Firestone and the... And the, the, the dedication of at least part of the time of WPTF-FM when it came on to playing classical music, uh, providing uh, a little bit of culture where uh, you you really didn't have that. And here's an extremely cultured man. His name is Anthony, and he's from uh, Broadway. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing fine. Anthony, how are you tonight? Pretty
3: good. Well, I suspect based on the time I may be... uh as you say about Alan, I may be a cleanup man tonight. Okay. Um, I wanted to say that uh, during that 5 a.m. hour when I was coming along as a teenager, they had a devotional. Uh, It was called Be Still and Know. I think the Presbyterians and the Methodists got together. It was about five minutes long between 5.15 and 5.20. Either Bill Jackson or Johnny Hood had that. And being from Harnett County at... uh, still in the farm hour at five forty-five, one of the businesses in this uh county godwin building supply always had this commercial that ran at a quarter of six you could mark your watch for
0: that thing that that is not uncommon uh uh I, tom avery used to work with the jim Balvano show when we carried it uh and uh avery was one of my colleagues and they had a an ad that they always played at the same place in the program for goodies that uh, that, uh, that he played. And he said it, it, that's the only time it was ever played. It wasn't played on any other show. It was just played one time a week during the Jim Balvano show. Uh, now, one, one more thing, and I'll
3: let you go. Um, during World War II, when uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed, my father and a bunch of them were over at my granduncle's store and they had WPTF on, and they carried NBC, and H.V. Kaltenborn was going nuts. And uh, they finally slowed him down enough to figure out that Pearl Harbor had been bombed on December 7, 1941. So that uh, broadcast came over
0: about 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'm losing my mind. We were just talking about uh, with Mike. About uh, a gentleman that he had a course with at Chapel Hill, and I can't I can't remember. Uh, Mr. Uh, was it Mr. Wallace? Yeah, Wesley Wallace. Yeah, see, yeah, it's all in there, Mike. I just can't find it. Something, but Wesley Wallace was was kind of like uh, uh, assistant program director or something on Pearl Harbor Day. I've got to tell you this, and then we're out of here. Uh, and uh, uh, John, if you'll let me, can I can I cheat a minute here? Okay. Uh, in any event. uh... He 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 had Mr. Wallace had been out covering some maneuvers that some people at, at Fort Bragg were doing. They you know they they sort of thought something was going to happen, and uh, he went home and went to sleep because he'd been up all night. And somebody at the radio station, a younger person, called and said, "The Japanese have bombed Pearl Harbor. What must I do?" And he said, "Well, what you need to do is to go out in the street and see if you can find some soldiers and bring them back in. Maybe we can interview them." And he said, "By the way." The soldiers will be the ones with the uniforms. <laughs> I just have always thought that was a funny way of saying it. That's pretty it, but, funny. But but he but but I think I told you what Mr. Wallace did. He ultimately left WPTF and helped start Armed Forces Radio and TV Service in in the Far East and so right. on. Right. But but, uh, uh, but that was one of the things that that uh, radio meant, uh, you know, in, in talking about the cultural contributions of WPTF. It 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 is indeed time to go. Uh, So we'll talk to you tomorrow night or the next night, Anthony. Thank
3: you. All right. You have a great uh, evening, and uh, stay warm, Tom. Okay, you
0: too. Mm -hmm. Bye. It is going to be chilly tonight. We'll be back tomorrow night to uh, talk to Woodrow Seymour.